I don't know, I grew up in a house where coffee was drank all the time, like we, you know, and as I got older, like going to coffee with people is one of my favorite things to do, right? Like I love, like if you want to hang out with me, ask me to go to coffee, right? I am down. I will work it into my schedule. We will figure it out. Um, I love going to coffee with people. It's just, it's a way that I connect, I feel like I connect well with people that way. And, you know, there's just something about when you've spent a good amount of time with somebody, you know, uh, that sometimes the truth and things begin to flush themselves out or, you know, how many of you know when somebody has a problem or they need to talk to you about something, sometimes you have to have a conversation for a while before that starts to come out, right? People don't just generally say, but here, let me tell you what's going on, right? So this is as much for my comfort this morning as it is for yours, uh, but I want to have, just sit down and have coffee with you this morning and uh, have a conversation. The title of my message is Candid Conversations, and that means that you know, how many of you guys remember that old show, Candid Camera, right? Smile, you're on Candid Camera, and they'd always catch, they would always create these scenarios for people to do, like, the wrong thing, and then whenever they, however they reacted, then they would come out and show them, hey, you know, you're on Candid Camera. I think one of the funniest sketches I ever saw them do was they walked, now, it was funny in, like, the late 90s. It'd probably get you shot today, so don't try this. Um, but they, they got, like, a Mr. Bottle, and they walked around through this, through the mall or whatever, and they would have somebody sneeze and then spray a person in the back of the neck with the Mr. Bottle. Again, not a joke that aged well um, in today's culture, but, you know, it was the whole, and then they would watch people's reaction, then, you know, they'd point at the camera, and, oh, and everybody laughs, and everybody goes, I'm happy, right? And that idea of being caught in the moment or having a candid reaction because they're, you're just exposed to it is one thing, but how many of you guys know sometimes in life we're not very candid with people? right? We, we kind of keep part of ourselves hidden, and we hope, oh, I hope people don't see this, right? If you come over to our house, there will be a, there will be a firestorm of cleaning that goes on before you come, and there will most likely be rooms that we tell you not to go into, okay? <laughs> um, we have someone coming over today. The rule will be you don't get to go upstairs, right? Because I cleaned downstairs, but a lot of that stuff got moved upstairs, and the people who need to put it where it goes. We're not home yesterday to put it away where it goes. So anyway, and I had, you know, just massive laundry and all that stuff to do. Just life, right? This is candid conversations. I'm going to be candid with you this morning, right? I spent a lot of yesterday doing laundry and grumbling under my breath about having to do this much laundry, right? It's just, it's part of life though, you know, laundry, you know, they always say that, you know, two things are inevitable in the world, death and taxes. It should be three, death, taxes, and laundry. Um, are inevitable. And yeah, you had four boys, right? You know, I have three kids. That's a lot of laundry. You know, it's just, it's just, there's just a lot of it. But I honestly believe that one of the biggest problems that faces the church is that we suffer in silence. That we walk in here every Sunday morning and we put a, we put a church smile on our face. And people ask us how we're doing, good, well, blessed, I'm great, God is good, all of those things. Hoping, one of two things I think, I've been both actually, hoping one, that the Holy Spirit will impress on whoever I'm talking to, to know that what's going on, that there's really something going on in my life, and I just, I need, like, I want that supernatural intervention moment, right? Oh, please, just, just, God, if you could speak to them, and when I say everything is good, just impress on their spirit that everything's not good and have them tell me, because then I'll... You know, like, I, it's almost like the, the Gideon with the fleece, right? I'm going to set it out and do, and I need, the, I need that, like, really visible moment, God, that you know everything and all this kind of stuff. So we either want that, or we're 
praying, oh, I'm going to tell them it's good, and God, please don't let them see that it's not, right? How many of you have ever been guilty with fighting with your spouse on the way to church and getting out and going, all right, smiles on, we're here at church. Fucking, how you doing? Oh, we're good. Things are so good, right? I mean, we do that, though, don't we? Why? Why do we walk into a place that should be full of people? No, they should. That is full of people that genuinely care about us, genuinely care about what's going on in our lives, are genuinely concerned with us. And why are we not honest enough with them to tell them when we're struggling? To say, I'm not okay. How are you doing this week? Not good. Right? Why do we do that? I mean, there's probably a myriad of reasons, you know. And let me tell you, being in ministry makes it even harder, right? We don't always want to sometimes let people see the things because what if, what if they don't think I'm a good pastor anymore? Right? What if, I, what if I told you what was going on and you'd think, oh, you know. Sometimes maybe we're afraid we'll feed the church gossip mill. You know, have, you know, somebody running around asking for prayer for so-and-so because of something, you know. It's a, it was a joke when I was a youth pastor, but I used to tell, and I tell youth leaders all the time, I said, when I ask students for prayer requests, I said, there was times that sometimes I wouldn't even ask students for prayer requests, I would just pray for kids, and then when I would ask for prayer requests, I was always very careful to monitor, because it usually turned into their way of gossiping about their friends, right, like, and because teenagers are just, they're going to tell you the whole story, and it was like, you know, you didn't need to share that with all of us, you just should have just said, pray for my friend Sally, she's going through a hard time. I didn't need to know, you know, all of, you know, the, the whole group didn't need to know all of the details in a youth group and stuff because sometimes it seems like taking prayer requests can turn into our way to gossip. But that might be counterproductive to my point. But anyway. The truth is, is that as Christians, our lives are going to be hard and things are going to be difficult. And as we reposition this year with this idea of raising the banner, and wanting to do everything we do with excellence and to, and to take a focus on how do we personally evangelize better and how do we reach people who are far from God. When we take that stance and when we draw hard lines in the sand like we've drawn and we commit ourselves to prayer like we have and when we do these things, we, we kind of kick the bee's nest a little bit, right? We start to wrestle stuff up in the spiritual realm and the enemy doesn't like it. I'm going to tell you, a church that has everything going smoothly and none of its people are experiencing any kind of spiritual attack and everything is just smooth and, and, and calm and, you know, they don't really have any, there's nothing catastrophic kind of going on. I'm going to tell you, I'm guessing they're not doing very much for the gospel. <laughs> I'm telling you, let's think about the last year, right? And we've started this prayer thing and what, we found out the side of the building could have come down. I mean, how many other things have happened, right? Just different things here and there and stuff going on. You think that that's like by happenstance, or do you think that's because the enemy's like, I don't like what's starting at Abundant Life. I don't like what they have going on over there. But struggle and things in our lives is part of a Christian life. It's part of what happens. It's part of what goes on. And we can't, you know, move away from it. We have to, in some ways, embrace it and then realize that we are surrounded by people who care about us who are going to pray with us about things. And that it's not our job to suffer in silence. There is nothing noble about suffering in silence. There is nothing honorable about suffering in silence. 
There is nothing, it doesn't make you a better believer, a better Christian. It doesn't make you more spiritual. Whatever it is, it doesn't make you better. I was talking with someone this morning. They weren't able to be up here. So they were saying, oh, well, what are you, you know, what are you preaching on? And I told them, and we were having this conversation. And I said, you know, sometimes we don't want to say anything because, one, we don't want to burden other people with our problems either. And they were like, no, I can, t- I can totally relate to that, right? Or I don't want to be viewed as weak or, or why is this something that's, that's distracting me. Now, I'm not saying you should come in here and whine every, every single week, right? Like, but how many of you know there is a difference between whining and genuinely having a need or a problem in your life? right? If you're just upset that nothing in life is going your way, you're whining. Right? Well, I hit every red light on the way to church. I spilled my coffee. My kids were just up all night. You're whining. My wife and I have been at it for six months, and we cannot seem to come to an agreement. We can't I don't know, we're not like, we don't want to leave each other, but we just can't seem to get on the same page or come together. That's a problem. That's a problem. And that's something that you should bring. Now, I'm not saying that you need to come up here and stand in front of the church and tell them your problem. There's wisdom and discretion. But there are people in here you could come to. There is a pastoral staff here that loves you and cares about you and is willing to pray with you and sit down with you and talk with you. We have an eldership now right, that is here for you, that loves you, that cares about you, that would want to meet with you and pray with you. There are fellow believers in this room who love you, who care about you, who are solid prayer warriors, who would pray with you. That's obviously just one example. It's not an entire thing. I didn't know that these time marks were here. So let's start with scripture, right, now that I've talked a little bit. The first one is James chapter 1, uh, 2 through 4, and I love, James's whole thing could almost be called a candid conversation, because I love, James doesn't pull any punches, really, in what he says, he's very straightforward, um, and he's one of the, like, I almost feel like every Christian should read James, like, once every few months, because I promise you, it'll challenge you in your Christian life, because James just, he says it like it is, right? James is the guy who's like, listen, faith without works is dead. Oh, well, that's uncomfortable, God. Um, you know, listen, this is how he starts his letter, okay? After he introduces himself and he gives their, their customary greeting, this is how he starts a letter to them, okay? Think about when Paul writes a lot of letters, Paul kind of uses that sandwich method, right, where he kind of compliments them and then he talks about what they're doing wrong and then he gives them encouragement and everything at the end. James doesn't do that. This, this is how he starts a letter, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. That's the start of the letter. How many of you know if that's how it starts, it's probably not going to get much better as it goes farther down. (laughs) Right? It's like it can only get worse from here. No. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. This is such a powerful little point of Scripture to consider trouble, to consider things happening to you and going on in your life, an opportunity for joy, a chance to have joy. Because when your faith isn't tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. And it's not in your notes, but if I was going to define endurance for you this morning, I would define it as the ability to keep putting one foot in front of the other. I don't look like it right now but I'm a runner, okay? 
Um, I have, comp well, I don't know if running one 5K constitutes being a runner, but um, <laughs> I strive to be a runner in my life, right? I enjoy running. It's a lot of fun, and I, there's an app that I use that trains you how to do it, and it's basically building up your endurance, right? So every week you run just a little more, and you run just a little more, and you run just a little more until eventually you're running 3.1 miles, and you just, you can do it, and you can do it well, and then there's ones that train you up, and I recently restarted it, and I got really busy, and it got really rainy, and I was kind of wussy, so I didn't want to go out and run in that, and uh, so now I'm going to have to start it again. I told you, I'm going to be candid this morning. I'm just, this is just tip of the iceberg stuff. This is the, these are the easy confessions this morning. We'll, we'll get to the more difficult ones here in a minute, but uh, I was running, and as I was thinking about it, there was moments where you're tired, and your body doesn't want to keep doing it, and I thought to myself, it, it, it does it in intervals, so the first week is literally like, you run for a minute, and then you walk for 90 seconds. You run for a minute, you walk for 90 seconds, and there's points when you're running where I just want to stop, and I just had to just, I had to continuously tell myself, go till you hear the ding, right, because it goes, ding, walk. And I just, you literally are just telling yourself one foot in front of the other, one foot in front of the other, one foot in front of the other. Ju you know, or if you're a Disney fan, you know, Finding Nemo, just keep swimming, right? <laughs> but that's endurance. Endurance is to the idea and the mental fortitude to just keep going, to just keep putting one foot in front of the other, to say, I'm just going to keep moving. So in our Christian life, our endurance would be to continue to pursue God and the things that he has called us to, regardless of the things that are surrounding us in our life. Regardless of the attacks from the enemy, regardless of situations and circumstances that we find ourselves in, that we just keep moving forward. And it doesn't have to be big gains all the time. Sometimes winning in faith and having endurance means you didn't, you don't quit, you don't lose your faith. It's not shipwrecked, it's not any of those things that you just, sometimes to come through a trial and to say, to still be able to look up and say, God is good, that's endurance and that's winning. Because let's be honest, some of you have walked through situations and things in life and the fact that you can still, with all sincerity, say God is good, that's incredible. Right? When we hear testimonies that people go through, and our faith is encouraged by that, isn't it? Sometimes when I hear things people go through, and I'm like, man, that puts all my stuff into perspective. Right? Because I'm not going through that. Cannot tell you. There are times I'm, again, I told you I was going to be completely honest with you guys this morning. There have been times that I have been, that I have worried about having any kind of greater influence in ministry or any kind of great ministry because almost every pastor I knew that had like this awesome ministry that was doing a lot of stuff had kids that were sick or lost a child or anything like that. And I remember thinking to myself, God, I don't want that. Right? But there's a lot of people who have, I have looked up to spiritually that when they really start to open up about the things they go through, you're like, whoo, that's tough. That's hard. That's not easy. But it, James here does give us hope when he says that when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. It means that there will come a point when your faith pretty much says, looks out and says, you know what? Bring it on. I, uh, we were out driving around with our kids the other day, and I don't know how in the world it started to pop into my head, but we started listening to, like, old 90s uh, Christian music. 
right? Like right at the turn of the century or whatever, you know, so late 90s, early 2000s. And uh, we started with Avalon's Testify to Love, which is still a great song, still really catchy. Some of you are nodding like you know what it is, you know. And guess what? You're going to get in your car on the way home today. You're going to pull up your Apple Music or whatever music thing, and you're going to look it up, and you're going to listen to it, right? And it's a great song. I said it right now, and I can hear it playing in my head. I won't sing it for you because I love you. But... Um, <laughs> But then I started going through other things, right? And I went and I pulled up this old Stephen Curtis Chapman album that I used to have. I think it was called Declaration. And he's tons of great songs on that album. Pastor's nodding. I know he knows the album, right? But there's a song two-thirds of the way down called Bring It On. And the whole song, there's a, there's a part at the end where he goes, I'm not, he says, I know that whatever comes is going to make me grow stronger, so I'm not going to run from the very things that drive me closer to him, so bring it on. The whole song pretty much says, let it all come. Let the storms come. Let the rains come. Let anything you can, the world can throw at me, let it come. Because if it drives me closer to God, then I'm willing to take it on. Yeah. I'm telling you, that is not a statement you will hear in many churches today. Most of us come in and we're like, God, help, help us. How do, we, how do we live a life free of problems? <laughs> Don't be a follower of Jesus. <laughs> can I say that? Don't be a fo- if you want to live a life free of problems, you should probably not be a follower of Jesus. Because Jesus only promised, he said, I tell you the truth, in this world you have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Jesus consistently, he tried to convince people not to come follow him. He, what did he tell people? Take up your cross daily and follow me. Now we hear that 2,000 years removed, and to us the cross is a symbol of beauty, right? We love this cross that's up here. Right? And I love the story of Pastor talks about when he built it and all the different wood, you know, and representing all that. It's a beautiful story and it's a beautiful thing. That cross is awesome, right? When he said that to people, he told them to take up an instrument of torture and death and follow him. I read a book one time that somebody said, might as well, he might as well have said, in today's culture, he would have said, pick up your electric chair daily and follow me. Right? Tie a gallows noose daily and come follow me. That's what he was telling them. To die to themselves daily. These are not comfortable things to say. But what do we need to understand is we need to understand that trouble creates endurance. Trouble creates endurance. In the physical fitness world, in any kind of world, the only way to get stronger is by resistance, right? Whether that's using your own body weight, whether that's using resistance bands, whether that's using free weights, whatever it is, resistance is the only way your muscles get stronger. On the opposite, when you don't use those muscles, when they're not engaged in resistance, they atrophy and they get weaker. Can I tell you, faith is almost, it behaves like a muscle, When it engages resistance, it gets stronger. When it sits back idly and does nothing, it atrophies. That's not who we were called to be. Church, we can't run from those things, right? And any of you who have ever started a workout plan know those first couple weeks when you are trying to convince yourself to go do it, it's hard. You don't want to do it. And you will think of Every and any excuse to not have to go do it. It's hard. We come to the same problems when it comes to faith and the things that we know God has called us to do. 
because if you're sitting here this morning as a follower of Christ, God has a call on your life, and he has a mission for you, and he has something for you to do. But it's not going to be without resistance. It is not going to be without difficulty. But it is going to be something that makes you stronger, that grows your faith, that lifts his name high, that has incredible, incredible benefit for the kingdom of God. I believe that. See, but though, trouble causes us to rely on God. When we get in those moments where things are so difficult and they're so stressful and we don't know where else to turn, it causes us to rely on God. It causes us to say, God, you are the source of my strength, right? What did Paul say? I have this thorn in my flesh, this messenger of Satan sent to buffet me. Three times I asked God to take it away. And what did he say? No, my strength is sufficient for you. That there's going to come things in our lives that no matter how much prayer, God's going to say, I'm not taking that obstacle out of your way. You're going to rely on me to get over it, to go around it, to get through it, or to just deal with it. Because I have it there for you. But endurance creates a powerful witness. Let me tell you something, church. The world doesn't need to see a group of people who have no problems and everything's going well in their life. No one can relate to that. They need to see a group of people who face resistance, who go through hard times, who have difficult situations, who rise up and overcome because of their faith in God. So that when someone's talking with you and all of a sudden it's a situation that you can relate to, it's something that you've personally walked through or you've been through and you know how God brought you through, then now you have a voice into that. I've been there. I've been down that road. Let me tell you what God did. Let me tell you how God brought me through. You want a powerful personal witness? We don't get that. Again, nobody can relate to I lived a life free of pain and suffering. Right? No one can relate to that. You're chasing a pipe dream. But when someone can sit down and they can be sharing their pain and their brokenness and they can look at you and say, I know you've been through things too. How are you not floored by this? How does this not, you know, whatever. And you can say, it was the strength, by the strength of God, by the grace of God, I made it through this. I know I've shared this story before. I'll share it again. I remember being at my grandfather's bedside. He was passing away. Um, it's probably the first time Jennifer had ever really seen me emotional. We were engaged, I think, for about four months, and he was passing away, and we were all at the hospital. And I'll never forget being outside of the room because we all got to go in one at a time and say goodbye. I'll never forget my non-Christian uncle looking at my grandmother and saying, how are you doing? Are you doing okay? And she goes, yeah. She was the strongest out of everyone in that room. And my uncle looked at her and goes, I don't know how you do this. And she said, oh, honey, this is Jesus holding me up. She knew exactly where her strength came from. She knew exactly why. Right? Let me tell you, my grandmother, she's the, she's the matriarch of the family, right? She's got a legacy of faith to her. One of the people, man, if grandma's praying for you, it's going to be okay. Because. But it creates, in that moment, it gave a witness to somebody who was not a Christian, who could not understand in a logical, rational way of thinking how a woman who'd been married to a man for 55 years was understood he was dying in a bed in there. 
how she was so strong and so capable of walking around to make sure that everybody else in the family was doing okay. How she could do that. And her response is, it's Jesus doing this. How do you argue with that? Because nobody in their rational mind would think that that's even a possibility. It creates a powerful witness. We need to find joy in the fact that we're getting stronger. We need to find joy in that. Take joy in the struggle. Not that you are enjoying the struggle, but that you find joy in knowing it's going to make you stronger. Right? Nobody enjoys exercising while they're doing it. It's awful. I love running. I don't necessarily enjoy running while I'm running. I like how I feel when I'm done running. Right? We like how our bodies feel when we've been somebody who exercises. We like how we have more energy. How we think, you know, joints and things don't hurt as much. We like those things. We don't necessarily enjoy that. Right? We like the results. We find joy in the results. So take heart and take joy that when you're in a struggle, in knowing that on the other side of this struggle, that you are going to be somebody who is spiritually stronger. And let's take joy in that and find joy in that moment. And the last thing is, name a biblical figure that didn't experience hardship. At least, you know, one that we're supposed to emulate. There's biblical figures and that you shouldn't emulate. And nobody should be like Haman. But, you know... Right? But, but name one. Can you? Can you name somebody who did something great for God in the Bible who didn't experience hardship? You can't, can you? They all did. That was part of following God's plan for their life. Now, some of them, the hardships, were partly created by their own mistakes. And we have to be honest this morning that that's true sometimes. That the hardships that we experience are because of some of our own mistakes sins we've allowed to operate in our life, things that we've allowed to happen. But that doesn't mean that God's not going to use it to strengthen you. If we're not there in Romans, but we'll get there soon. This is what? For we know God works together for good all things to those who, who love God and who are called according to his purpose. Right? Now, a lot of people quote that and they leave off the last part. For those who love God and who are called according to his purpose, it's wildly misquoted. Right? Well, we know God works all things for good, so just hold, like, well, hold on. <laughs> Use the rest, because there's some qualifiers on there. You know? But when you are working towards something, don't think that God doesn't look down and say, yeah, you made a mistake there, but watch how I turn it around and make something good happen out of it. See if I don't use that as a, as a, as a way for you to speak to somebody else who maybe made the same mistake. Now for the, the meaty verse of where we are this morning. It's Hebrews 12, not Hebrew 12. Um, as the two geniuses in the sound booth pointed out to me this morning, they're like, you have Hebrew in there. And I was like, well, it's just one chapter. So, um, <laughs> you know. 
yes, yeah, then we got into the whole, you know, coffee thing in Hebrews and how every church that has a coffee bar that names it Hebrews doesn't realize that like a hundred other churches have that thing. If we ever have a coffee shop at our church, let's not call it Hebrews. <laughs> I'm, I'm begging you. It's anything else. Um, it doesn't even, I mean, like sometimes I think churches go out of their way to try to be clever and it was like, they, yeah. But it's like we also use like the coffee shop in churches as like a way to like try and invite our friends. And when it has some cutesy clever name and you invite your non-Christian friends, they don't get it. <laughs> it's like making a Star Wars joke to my wife. She's just going to look at you and stare at you like, I don't, I don't know why that was even funny. You know, she's like, I don't, I don't get it. Tobias will come and he'll be talking about something with Star Wars. And we'll start nerding out and doing all this stuff and we're having, and Jennifer's looking at me and she's just like, I don't get it. I'm right there with you. I understand. I, you know, you talk about stuff, though, that I'm like, I don't get it. You know, I just, I don't get it. My mom will always do that to us. Me and my dad, my dad's a big nerd, too, and we'll start nerding out about stuff, and she'll look at me and tell me, uh, you know, she'll look at me and my dad and go, you know, you understand these people are fake, right? So these aren't real stories? Just, yeah. I'm like, yeah, we know, but we still enjoy it. Anyway. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. Endurance allows us to fulfill God's plan for us. How do we do that? First off, we need to focus on Christ. We need to make Christ the focus of our life. We set our eyes on him. What does the Bible say? Listen, when you think of everything Christ endured, it helps us to know we can make it because there's not a one of us right now who is carrying the weight of the sins of the world on their shoulders. There's not a one of us who has ever been cut off from the presence of God. Right? Hasn't happened. Right? Now, you may, there may be times when you don't feel God's presence, but that doesn't mean he's not with you. Right? You don't get me wrong. I love I love altar experiences. I love them. I grew up in Assembly of God, Pentecostal tradition, right? I, I love those moments. And we're going to have one of those moments later if you want to come forward and do that. So, But there's a huge problem when if we come to the altar and we don't feel tinglys or we don't cry or we don't do whatever, that all of a sudden we wonder what's wrong with us and why isn't God giving us his presence Okay, we're not supposed to seek the feeling, we're supposed to seek God. And if because God chooses not to allow you to feel something in a cer- at a certain moment doesn't mean that his presence isn't with you, doesn't mean that his spirit isn't with you, or mean that he's angry at you for something that you did. Guess what? You could have sinned really bad, come to the altar, and this is what happens a lot of times, right? We've got some sin in our life, we come to the altar, we don't feel the tingly fuzzies and the snots and the cries and all that good stuff, and we walk out going, oh, I've sinned too bad, I screwed up. No, we've been in grace in Romans for how long? God's grace covered. 
So just because you don't feel the feelings in a moment, if there's one thing that's wrong with Pentecostal tradition, it's that we hype the feelings over the presence of God. You know how many times I've come to the altar and walked away discouraged because I didn't feel those things? And let me tell you, the enemy uses that. He's going to start to whisper in your ear, see, you screwed up too much. See, God's done with you. See, see, look what you did. Man, look, tell him to shut up. You understand? The Bible says he's the father of lies. Lies are his native tongue. So if the enemy is coming to you and sharing, saying things to you, and you know that his native tongue is lies, tell him to shut up. And I'm listening to you. Now, when I say the enemy, I don't think the devil is personally going to each and every person in this room. He's not omnipresent. He can only be one place at a time. And unless you're Billy Graham, I don't think he's coming after you. Okay? Just going to be completely honest. But that doesn't mean he doesn't have a horde of demons that might not try to. And they're just like him. Snotty little sniveling. Sissies. Now, in the flesh, that would be really dumb to say. <laughs> I'm going to tell you right now, when the Spirit of God is in you, it's different, right? Because what every time, every time in Scripture, when Jesus showed up and there was demons, they freak out. Right? I love the one, the guy that's possessed by the, they said, my name is Legion, for we are many. They show up, they're, like their first words out are, are you here to torture us, Jesus? They are scared to death of him. And what? We sing songs like the same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives where? In us. So we need to operate in that. We need to move in that. We need to keep our eyes fixed and focused on Jesus. And because we didn't have an experience that we wanted, think that God is done with us. You know when God is done with you? When he calls you home. Even then, he's really not done with you. He just graduated you to something else. Your mission on this earth is over when you stop breathing. And because we have this wonderful thing called grace, and if you haven't been able to hear the last few weeks where pastor's been teaching on grace, I encourage you to go on Facebook, go on YouTube, go on our podcast, listen to those messages on grace. You will be genuinely encouraged. Man, last week, he was like five minutes in. I was like, just give the altar call now. Like, I'm ready. I'm ready to respond, right? Second thing, this is when it starts to get really kind of uncomfortable because the focus on Jesus thing, there's a lot of people who teach on that. Let's talk about this one. We need to throw off sin. We need to throw off sin. What does Hebrews say? Let us throw off the sin that so easily trips us up. And here's the thing. If you're wondering what that is, most of us, when we hear this, our mind goes right to one thing, right? Like we know what that is. It can be different for different people. Pride, arrogance, envy, lust, jealousy. But throw it off. Throw off that sin that so easily trips you up. Guess what? This is one of those things where, hey, if you've been struggling with this, because if it easily trips you up, guess what? You struggle with it. It's not just like, oh, yeah, you know, like... I don't have a problem saying no to being drunk. I don't drink. It's easy, right? I don't have a problem saying no to drugs. I've never done drugs in my life. Like, that's easy for me to say no to. There's other things I'm very, very guarded about. My wife will tell you, 
There was different times we talked about going to see different movies. I look at why it's rated whatever it's rated for. I said, I'm not going to go see it. There are shows I won't watch that I'm pretty sure I would really enjoy because of content that's in them. There are apps I don't have on my phone. Because I know where the struggle is. I'm not perfect. But in an attempt to throw off the sin that so easily entangles, sometimes that means removing things. Sometimes it means doing the things that are unpopular, that are uncool. If you struggle, if social media gets you angry and you can't manage to be on social media without sinning, then get rid of it. Now, there's nothing written in culture that says you have to have a Facebook. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be completely honest with you. The only reason I still have Facebook is because the church uses it for stuff. I would have gotten rid of it a long time ago. Social media is a plague on culture. Because we used to only have to ignore that one person that said dumb stuff. Now we have to ignore thousands of people that say dumb things. And I'm not just talking about people who believe differently than, differently than me politically. Sometimes I have people who I believe the exact same thing, and I'm going, oh, gosh, please don't. Please don't. Never, because never in the history of the world did looking at somebody telling them they were stupid for what they believed ever win you an argument or persuade someone to come follow you. But we need to throw off sin. Things in our lives that, that are difficult, things that we have that, are, that easily trip us up, we need to get rid of them. And if it's not something you can do, that you can do by yourself, and let's be honest, if it was something you could do by yourself, it wouldn't easily trip you up. Get help. Find a prayer group. Have a moment where you are open and honest with another Christian fellow believer. And say, this is where I struggle. This is a problem that I have. I need help. I need prayer. Will you pray with me? Will you walk with me? Will you call me? Check in on me? Men, you want to know why pornography is such an issue with men? Because generally we're too embarrassed to say it's a struggle. We think we're the only one when statistics would show you that it's really more like 90% of men. And a rising number of women. But we isolate. We're afraid. We're ashamed. We're embarrassed. Oh, if somebody knew that I struggled with that, they wouldn't look at me the same. Don't listen to the lies of the enemy. That's a lie. To use good old Christian, super Christian vernacular, it's a lie from the pit of hell, right? I'm not saying, again, don't come up here and stand up here in front of the church and declare to everyone that that's what your struggle is. That's not wisdom. But find someone, someone that you trust, someone that has a good, solid walk with God and say, I need help. This is not God-honoring. This doesn't help my relationship with my wife. This doesn't help my relationship with God. This is the sin that so easily trips me up, and i got to get rid of it. Throw it off. Get Help. Addicts don't quit drugs by themselves, generally. Why would somebody who struggled with anything else? Get help. 
was thinking, how does it start? Since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, since you have this awesome church family around you who loves you enough to care about what's going on in your life, why would you keep those things a secret? when it's in the dark they can't handle it you bring it to the light it kills it that doesn't mean to say that the struggle will, not, will forever be gone I told you I'd be real with you guys this morning I told you there are apps I don't have on my phone for a long time I set rules for myself that I would not get on the internet after a certain time not like sharing something that's never been shared before. My wife knows all this. It's a very uncomfortable conversation with a girl you're dating. Not that we had it like right away. It was like as we really realized where our relationship was going. This is an area of my life where I've struggled. Praise God. It's not a struggle currently. That doesn't mean the temptation's gone. Like I said, I was going to be open and honest with you guys this morning. Because maybe at some point somebody needs somebody who is a pastor to give you, to do something to give you in some way to feel like you have permission to step out and say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling. Let's throw off sin. That doesn't mean you're never going to sin again. Man, I look forward to the day when Jesus brings us home and I don't have to worry about sinning anymore. But until that day, I'm a sinner saved by grace and I'm doing everything I can to try to follow him. We also need to shed the things in our life that don't add to the plan God has for us. Right? It's not just about that. What else does it say in there? Let us strip off every weight that slows us down. You ever see a bicyclist, those people who are training to ride cyclists, wearing those awful bicycle shorts and everything else? Why do they do that? Because it's aerodynamic, right? Same reason that swimmers shave, right? Because they, it, anything to cut just the, the, the smallest amount of time off of that thing to make them faster, right? Oh, stinging facial hair. But that's, it's about making them faster. He's saying, listen, some of these things that you have in your life, they're not sin. They're not. They're not good or bad, but they're slowing you down. Your attention's divided. Your focus is shifting between two or three things, and it's not helping you get to where God wants you to be. Throw it off. Drop it. Let it go. Again, not that it's sinful. It's just not beneficial. Some of you just need to pray and ask God what that is. God, is there something in my life? I'll get real with you guys. Some of you guys, it's your Xbox. I'm coming for everybody else too, so don't be like all the, all the teenagers and young people are like, oh, 
How dare you? No. I have no problem with Xbox. I played video games a little bit this week. I've actually played more video games in the last week than I probably have in six months. Nothing wrong with that. But if it consumes a lot of your time, it's a weight that slows you down. Some of you guys, it's whatever your preferred streaming service is. Some of you, it's all of your side hustles that you have going on. Some of you, it's all of the little projects that you want to do. Again, not that any of these things are wrong, so please don't hear me. Because if you know, I have projects all across my house of things that I want to do. I'm not saying those things are bad. What I'm saying is when we get so focused on everything else, aside from the plan that God has for us, it's something that begins to slow us down. Not that we're not still running, but if you were going to run a race, why would you want to run slower than you could? If as followers of Christ, we say what God's plan for our life is, the mission that God gave to us, that is the preeminent thing in our lives, and we want to run towards that, then sometimes that means we have to let go of other things. And I'll be completely honest, sometimes we let go of those other things and it's only for a season. Sometimes we actually get to take them back up again. Sometimes we have to we lay them down and we lay them down forever. But as I've said again, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, we have each other. We are a family. We have said countless times as a staff that over the last few months we have felt like the term ALC family was more true now than it's been over the last at least six years. Not that it wasn't a family feeling before, but we're really beginning to build this sense of family and of community and of a place that we we know and we like we feel like you guys are family. Jen and I, when we talk about you guys, we talk about you like you're family. So like it or not, we're family. And I can be that weird cousin that you don't talk to. But that's, you know, we're family. So why am I talking to you about this today? What, what brought this up in my life? made me want to jump away from Romans for a moment to have this conversation with you. It's because a couple Sunday mornings I was sitting right here, or standing right here during worship, thinking that I can't be the only one who feels like this in this room. I can't be the only one struggling in my life. I can't be the only one experiencing spiritual attack. That example of the person who fought with their spouse for six months without resolution, that's me. Now, Jen and I aren't like getting divorced or anything like that. Like, no fear there. But I believe the enemy wants to destroy what's going on here. And he will attack marriages. He will attack other things. He will mess with you in any way he can. 
I know because I've come to church a lot of different times over my life and, you know, told people things are good and things are great and everything's okay. When inside I'm thinking, if you only knew, you know, if you only knew I haven't been sleeping well. If you only knew the guilt that I carried. If you only knew the, the struggles that I was having. If you, if you only knew... so many times that, you know, when these things go on in our life, especially if you're somebody who's in ministry, if you, if you're vocationally a pastor, you'll feel like all of your qualifications for ministry are gone and I don't, I don't deserve to be up here. That was amazing. Before service, I was still just kind of going through that and I feel like God spoke to me and said, the only qualification for ministry is that I called you. Man, that's so amazing when he does that, when he just speaks to you and says things to you. Oh, it's so great. So I'm going to tell you this morning, if you're sitting out there and you, you know God has placed things on your heart to do and there's things that you want to do for him, I'm going to tell you, the only qualification for the mission that God has given you is that he called you and you said yes. That's it. He didn't call you because you're talented. He didn't call you because of anything else. He called and you said yes. Maybe this morning as I was talking about different things, you could, you felt a weight on you or you felt different things. The reason that I wanted to share my story this morning is because if you, it's because sometimes I feel like somebody, sometimes people need an example of somebody who's in more of a spiritual leadership position to say, listen, here's where I am, here's where I've been, to give you the permission to feel like you can respond in a way, and I'm willing to do that. Because it's been rough. It's been a rough six months for me. You know when things started to get better? When I started talking with people at church. When I finally came to a point where it was so heavy on me, I had to say something. In conversations with my wife, she's like, well, I'm going to text the other pastoral staff and tell them, kind of what you're going through and ask them to pray for you. Message some other people here at church and let them know. Because I'm standing in my kitchen holding on to my wife, sobbing, saying, I'm so tired. I'm so tired. Because you, to be completely honest, I'm trying to, I was trying to fight by myself. I was trying to weather it. I was trying to be the man, right? Tough it out. I can get through this. Why, when we have such a huge cloud of witnesses, do we do that? It's pride, isn't it? What does the Bible say? Pride goes before destruction. Now, sometimes I think we interpret that as somebody who's, oh, look at me, and I'm arrogant and prideful. No, that's the haughty spirit, right? That pride sometimes can just be the fact that I don't want you to see my dirt, so I'm going to keep it to myself and not tell anyone. And then I don't want to be that guy that Paul says they've suffered shipwreck in their faith. I don't want to be that guy. Why would you not want to experience victory simply because you didn't want to tell somebody else something that was going on in your life? Why would you do that? I'm asking you this morning, don't do that. Your church family loves you. 
pray for you. We want to we want to share with you. We want to walk beside you as you make your way through some of these things. So I'm going to ask you this morning a couple questions. The first one is, what are you carrying that you need to take off? What did you walk in here this morning carrying that's a weight that is slowing you down, that is tripping you up, that you need to lay down? The next one is, what sin easily trips you up? What do you need to ask for prayer for this morning? We're going to go back to James, James chapter 5, starting in verse 13. Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed sins, you will be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was a human as we are, yet he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, and none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain, and the earth began to yield its crops. So worship team, if you want to go ahead and make your way back up this morning. Prayer team, if you're out there, if you want to come forward as well. What is James talking about this morning? suffering hardships, if you're going through something, if you, if you need healing in your body, if you need healing in your mind, if you need healing in your spirit, come ask for prayer. Come get prayer. If you're going through something difficult, don't keep it to yourself anymore. Don't suffer in silence. Don't play the hero. Be the person who's willing to say, God, I can't deal with this on my own. I'm giving it to you, and I'm going to bring it before the, my church family, and I'm going to get prayer. If there's anything I can tell you guys this morning, and I hope you hear my heart on this, we love you. We love you so much. God has big plans for our church and big plans for our church in our community. But sometimes before we can go help other people who are hurting and broken, we got to get ourselves in a spot.